just two local guys with so much to say. So listen to the real estate brothers today. Hey folks, this is the 53rd episode of the Real Estate Brothers. Yay! So much to do. There's hula, there's surfing, and real estate too. We just do local guys with so much to say. So listen to the real estate brothers today. Welcome, folks. In this episode, we're going to be talking all about rising interest rates, Jay Powell, and rumors of the Fed, and. Dean's going to start us off with some June statistics, but before we do that, why don't you guys take some time and take some questions and comments, and we'll, I'll try and formulate it in our head, and we'll try to incorporate it into this month's episode. Okay, so that, is that me? That's you. Okay, welcome everybody. Thank you for tuning in as always. What is this, number 53 episode number? That's pretty cool, I think. Shows our our dedication to our craft we're not doing anything else other than doing this freaking thing every month <laughs> <laughs> to be in person soon yeah, yeah. yeah so as you guys know i'm dean Oeda. i'm a real estate investor and realtor in hawaii you can catch me on probably this way is on my youtube website real estate of hawaii or my website real estate of hawaii. but yeah before we jumped into the statistics i wanted to share a couple of things summer activities here in hawaii so one event that I tried or a venue was the Beyond Monet that's over in the convention center. I, the reason why I posted, I want to talk about this one, is that I wasn't very, uh, it, it was cool, I guess you could say, but I, I wasn't impressed very much. And maybe I'm not a impressionist appreciator or art uh, appreciator, but it just was the lack of amount of what I was able to see there. Basically, it was like, two large rooms. One room had a lot of words that you could read about Monet's history, which that part was interesting. But keep in mind, I brought my 10 and my eight-year-old child and they went on, we went on a play date. So that was one room that after you read all the history, then you step into another room that had, it was like a big, it's just an empty hall that had four sides of screens and the projectors just shot on all four sides, like just moving art, which is interesting too, but that was pretty much the end of it. And I think we paid along the lines of maybe $30. So it, it went by really quickly. So just underneath that, I have this search for Snoopy, the Peanuts adventure at the experience. We didn't do this, but the funny thing is after the Beyond Monet event, we went over to Alamoana Shopping Center and to have the kids play on this playground right next to Target. And we saw this search for Snoopy pop-up adventure. So I, we didn't go to, we didn't have time, but I then went online. Come to find out it's, a, it's pretty much the same price as the Beyond Monet event. And and again, I haven't gone through it yet, but it touted like eight different areas to go and do tour and adventure. So it depends. Like I'm sure if you're a Monet fan or appreciator, the Beyond Monet must, would probably be awesome, but I didn't find it very good bang for your buck. And the one interesting thing too is there was the, someone was working, there was a basketball tournament down below at the convention center. So I was talking to the lady working that event and she has mentioned to me that she was going to go to Beyond Monet and I said, oh, and I asked her, there was a Beyond Van Gogh event that happened probably six months ago. So 
I had asked her, oh, what she thought about that one. She said she hadn't been to that one. She missed it. But the interesting comment she made was that the Beyond Van Gogh event had a, lot, a really good turnout. And from my understanding, it was very similar with the two different areas. And she said, surprisingly, she, she finds that this Beyond Monet venue isn't getting as nearly as much attraction or pull as the Beyond Van Gogh came. So that made me think that people that paid the money for the Van Gogh event weren't impressed enough to come back to the Beyond Monet when they found out it was a very similar concept and setup. But anyway. Did you, did you go to the one in Japan where there's like... That one, there's two of those in Tokyo and we did go to that and... Oh yeah, maybe I'm comparing it to that, but this one blew this one out of Okay, because this, this one, I'm just looking at a picture, but it looks like they just like fired up four drone or four projectors and they just changed the USB file. Not- <laughs> I mean, there is transitions a little bit. It's a little bit more fancy than that to your point, but yeah, in a nutshell versus the one in Japan, which is comparing apples and oranges, but the technology yeah. that they had in the one in Odaiba is the kids will get a picture, they would draw a sea creature, and then they would scan that sea creature in the computer, and then that would pop up and be animated and be going all over the walls in the virtual ocean, and it would be moving. And that's just one, right? There, There's, and maybe we were expecting that, but anyway. Typical Hawaii, man. If anybody can help me find a CPA that has, knows what about passive losses and land conservation easements, please help me. We are 20 years behind everybody on the mainland. And in terms of 3D immersive art, we are 100 <laughs> years behind Japan. But anyway, getting off topic, let's jump into the statistics for June. And I've been tracking this as well as some other statistics because everyone is talking the doom and gloom and how there's the correction and interest rates are making everything tank. And that may be the case on the stock market side. But glad to announce that it's not quite happening in Hawaii yet. We are seeing a little bit of, I don't know if you want to call it softness, but as you can see, it's not really evident in some of these numbers. I'll point out to you where it might be, but starting off with the single family, uh, median single family home prices, we're actually at 1.11 million. We're actually up 12% from the same time last year. On the townhouse condo side, we actually broke an all-time new record at 534,000, and that's up 16% from last year. Where we do see maybe a potential, I don't know if you want to call it softening, but is on the closed sales, 357 for single family. That's a 21% decrease from last year and 626 closed sales for townhouse condos. That's a 14% decrease last year. If you want to say that's, if that's a sign. The market, we're still at 10 and 11% data market, which is still a strong seller's market from by definition. So what I would like to do is, like how we always do, is dig a little bit further to see how things are going. So closed sales, we see, again, we're just looking at this trend lines that over the last was that, t- 10 years, we, this is the closed sale trend. And if you look at it, it still looks relatively healthy. It's not like it's like a big drop. For new listings, this is where I think on the mainland, certain parts of the mainland they're saying is softening up because sales are going down, listings are coming up. And then so inventory overall is on the rise, which is causing the prices then to soften. But as you can see here, new listings, we have, we it's not really going up, it's actually going down. And so with that, the month supply of inventory, it's not bumping that up as much as it is on certain parts of the United States. So if we look at for June, we still have single family, 1.6 months of inventory and condos, one, not much different at 1.7. If you look at this historical chart, we were still at really basically all time lows still until 
the inventory starts bumping up, I think that's when we will actually get to see more softening of the prices, I think. And one thing different we have is our new construction rates aren't nearly as high as they are as the mainland being on the island as we are. So looking at days on market too as a lagging indicator for a buyer's or seller's market. And we have, as you can see here, as you mentioned earlier, it's well under two weeks. So we're still by definition in a seller's market. And again, all of these statistics are lagging indicators, but uh, but these are six days old, right, as June. Interest rates, again, we talked about this in the past. I pulled these, this number yesterday, but 30-year fixed is at 5.65. And I know we hear a lot of people freaking out. And by right, because everyone's been spoiled for the last 10, 12 years. And what it does is, yeah, when you everyone was used to that 3% interest rate, it's going almost double. And now you're your buying power goes down. So everyone has to adjust to that. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm going on to some interesting news on the west side of Oahu. This is regarding the Makaha Valley area. Once in a while, I'll get these calls for a lot of people like new construction and they're looking where is new construction popping up. We always talk about Kaka'ako, we talk about Core Ridge, Eva, Hope. But there's one small subdivision out in Makaha Valley by a cottage by Stanford Park, so cottages at Mauna Olu. It's a gated community, single-family homes up to about 1.2 million. And it just out there in the middle of that valley and just stands out compared to everything else. And part of the reason why is because of, we had this a Canadian company that had bought the land in Makaha Valley many years ago. And they were supposed to develop with residential vacation homes, vacation rentals, and golf courses. A few golf I think two golf courses popped up over there. Only one has survived. But besides that, there's not much out there. In fact, one of the golf courses was supposed to be a Tiger Woods golf course. And so without that development coming through fruition, that cottages of Mauna Olu just stood out there, oddly placed. But that uh, developer actually went bankrupt in 2021, the one in Canada. And so they, the bankruptcy courts have sold the property to... KH Group, which is a Korean company, and hopefully they're going to start development in terms of getting that Makaha Valley developed and having some neighbors and something to match the development of the cottages at Mauna Olu. So that's depends how you look at it. So some people think that's great news. Other people are like, keep the keep away. But Is that a safe place out there? I'm just asking realtor, the question everybody's thinking. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's a great question. And as a realtor, by, by definition, we have to watch out what we say because of fair housing laws. So when oh, okay. properties, that kind of thing. But no, to your point, you go down the street and you head towards the ocean and there's a homeless camp off to the right, right on the beach. That That's not looking too good. And overall, you think of the, once you get out of Makahe Valley, you look at the, the condition in the neighborhood. The houses are really old. And so Where'd there is say something was, to say. It was gated, right? This thing. This the cottage at Mauna Olu is gated and there's a guard. Like I said, it does it is unique in terms of once you get out of the valley, the rest of the inventory in that those na- neighborhoods. This so. this is good for the mainland guys who don't know anything about the island and then they just they don't care being on the west side. It's funny that you bring that up because that's who's the ones that are spotting this one and asking me about it. So yeah. yeah, that's exactly the ones. And then, so then there's a little bit of education too. I'm saying, okay, come down and let's go drive through the neighborhood. Let's take a drive up and let me know what you think. And so it, it is to your point, I am getting those inquiries about 
cottages. That's why when I see these articles, I think, oh, good to talk about because it's all a part of educating our friends, our clients about our, yeah. the well, neighborhoods. Where are the gated communities? You get this one. There's there's actually a if you can see this picture out. Hawaii Lower out Ridge. Here. Oh, just in general. Yeah, not that not, many gated communities. Yeah, there. Oh, there's a townhouse in Milanimaka. The EV. There's condo complexes that are those are easier to yeah. gate, right? But no houses. Um, yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, there there are ones. Shoot, I think in Windward side there are two, and in the Kahala side there are a few. I think they're, they're small though. Yeah. But yeah, that's why I like to talk about these kind of articles too. Yeah. As always, I like to talk about the scam of the month. So now we're talking about celebrity cryptocurrency scams, and uh, basically what these scammers are doing is they're building the scam initially, then the criminals will boost the scam with fake endorsements. So they will get, I guess, they'll impersonate public figures who previously promoted cryptocurrency to make the endorsements seem legitimate. And then the endorsements are meant to influence you to invest in the scam. And if you fall for that, you'll not see any return on your investment, obviously. So keep be aware of those. Always do, you know, never trust a get-rich-quick scheme. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. There, The cryptocurrency scams are usually caught and shut down quickly but you never know and remember that celebrities do get paid to endorse the cryptocurrencies you do your research and your due yeah. diligence and might be although bad. we are social creatures and we just follow like lemmings one person that's popular right happens since yeah. high school. that's basically what this is yeah so in this scenario the the that celebrity isn't truly promoting the scam it's they just try to mimic that yeah so the way this works is there's like these discord channels and then they're usually put on by some kind of influencer like a youtuber or somebody like a podcaster that doesn't know what they're talking about but sometimes the influencer is like some actual tech founder that actually went full cycle with a company that's where you, you got to do due diligence. But most times, they just think, what's that Jake Paul dude? Or I don't know who these guys are. Is that are. the one, the brothers, the boxer, the pro he, boxer? I don't know. He, I don't know. He's got like bleached hair or something like that. But he, there's yeah. a lot of these like influencers, right? And so they get paid. Not They're dumb. They, I would, if I was the influencer, I'd want equity. But they just get paid like a, just a quick sum of cash to shout out. It's just like all the Instagram influencers out there. There's, if you guys go to like socialblade.com, you can, you can find all the local influencers and just pay people in certain categories where you want. It's all pay for hire. So it's just a sham these days. <laughs> like social media, waste of time. I don't know. I've been grumpy today. Cool, cool. No, that's a good, very good point in terms of you gotta, you gotta do research because there's, there's so many people and you think that it's legit. They try to legitimize things. Anyway, moving on. So I have a client who is this has been a few times actually where but right now i have a client who's planning to sell their property they live three thousand miles away they haven't seen their property for quite a few years now it was tenanted and again so yeah they're in the mainland and one thing and sorry they want me to sell their property so one thing i asked them to consider you don't need to is to get what's called a pre-marketing home inspection typically in the buying process the buyer is recommended on their own dollar to get a, a home inspection and they use that to as leverage possibly to negotiate repair and or credits so in the scenario that we're in in this for my clients i had 
giving them the option to get a pre-marketing home inspection. And so one reason why this might be something for sellers to consider is it minimizes prices for the buyers as well as for the sellers for that matter, because they haven't set it for the net property for so many years. They don't know what's going on. A lot of times the property manager doesn't let them know what happened. The best thing they can do is go back to their the accounting and see, oh, they had, you got billed for this. Okay. Okay. The toilet was repaired because or replaced because we see that in the bill. Sometimes there's a bill and they, there's no detail. So the inspection helps minimize those kinds of oopsies or like things they didn't know about. Yeah. And in theory, it can reduce the buyer's reason to cancel from the J1 inspection. So if providing them with the buyers with the information, if you want to, or at least being able to disclose things that popped up in this pre-marketing home inspection, it, it gives the buyers in theory less outs because of inf- things that they didn't know because they discovered it during the inspection because we were able to let them know prior to getting into to contract. By right, the buyer can opt out of the contract based on, for no reason for that matter, in terms of if they're still within that inspection period. But this just in theory mitigates the risk of them canceling on a, for a legitimate reason. It's also, you know, pre-marketing home inspection is also a great marketing tool from the standpoint of being able to say to the buyer, the buyer's agent in, in, in good conscience that the seller is being upfront, honest and operating good, in, good fail, in good faith without anything to hide. And it totally depends on the sellers because the sellers could take it two ways. They could go on the one side of the spectrum and be fully transparent to the point of, here's the pre-marketing home inspection report and I'll take a look at it and you can see. Or you could be on the opposite side of that spectrum and say, you know what, I haven't set foot on this property. I'm going to sell it as is, no credits, repairs, anything. So buyers, now that you know that, you build in that to your taking that into consideration in your offer, right? So that's theoretically, you could be leaving meat on the bone though. So that's why when you have that two ends of the spectrum, in theory, when you're being more upfront and open, you can hopefully get more for your property and pocket more. So depends how you look at it. Again, sometimes I have clients who are like, no, just as is, take it. I don't want to know anything. Just let them know I don't know anything and that's fine also. And again, situations where the owners haven't seen their property in a long time is often when I throw that as a consideration for my sellers. So something for sellers to think about. Yeah. So last, I wanted to end with update on the Kaka'ako neighborhood. So I went by today actually to take some clients over to the Ward Village area in the IBM building. And so heard a few presentations. So a quick update. The Ali condo, condominium, that's been completed already, but they still have some available studios that they start at 660000 And there's actually resale condos for Ali because it's been done. I think some people are turning around and trying to sell them. Of course, those are probably more units that are, they were picked already. So the ones that are still sitting are not going to be as in good, I guess, part of the building. Also, Koula is another complex, similar to Ali, a little bit close, closer to the ocean. And those studios start at 7.30. They also have one bedrooms at in the 900s and the two bedrooms at 1.2. So this one's not going to be actually done until I think the fall, quarter Q3 of this year. So those are for sale. A few units left. If you have, if you want to know anything, then ping me. I have the pricing that and the available units. But maybe for next month, I'm going to talk about the next 
building that Ward Villages or Howard Hughes is putting up. And that's that complex is called Kalai. And I'll report next month. But Lane, we talked about not being on the, the ocean and having nothing to, no views. So Kalai is one of those buildings that's going to be built right across from Alamoana Boulevard and it's going to have a view of the ocean. In theory, they're not building them similar to Nauru where everyone has an ocean view. They're doing it a little bit differently where I believe it's you're either looking Eva or Diamond Head and then you have not a peekaboo view, but you don't get a straight shot view of the ocean so that everyone has some kind of view, but not the most gorgeous view. More information on Kalai coming soon. Those wedding bedrooms start at 1.2, just to let you folks know. That one's not going to be for a while, but I'll probably have a better, more comprehensive report with pictures and pricings for next month. What's this three-bedroom, three-bath cost? Because all these are, other ones are under like 1,200 square feet, yeah. Yeah, so the, I think there's going to be like, I think that the highest would be like 5.3 in the five million. Oh, that's probably this one. This three. It's at the corner unit. Three bedroom, three bath, fourteen fifty-seven square feet. So yeah, so Kalai is going to be uh, three hundred thirty units. Hundred sixty-five of those units are going to be unrestricted, meaning you can be an investor. You don't have to be living here. The remainder you have to be it has to be owner occupied. So what's up? Oh, okay, so this Ali'i is not as good as Kolua then. Yeah, Ali's further towards the mountain. There is a little bit smaller, the unit sizes. And then, yeah, this interesting thing is Ali'i, I've heard from a few buyers who stepped into their unit after because you're buying off of blueprints back then. And they're like, oh my gosh, like this, this is so small. I can't even yeah. believe. How did the engineers even, or the architectures, they should be fired for coming in. Man, you knew you should have known it's going to be tiny. And, but the thing is, there weren't any models to look at. Yeah? And uh, I did see one of the Ali studios and it wasn't that, it seemed actually really big because of the way they made everything efficient and they had a Murphy bed. And, but it reminded me of Murphy you know, bed? You got to in the studios. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. If you're, it reminded me of some of the Airbnbs I stayed in Tokyo. If you're moving from, say, Milani Maka from the four bedroom, three bath, single family home, 2,000 square feet, and you're trying to squeeze yourself into a 350 square foot studio, yeah, you're going to you're gonna be in a big bunch of shock, yeah. That's um, a downgrade living with mom and dad. You get your living room and all the common air between the laundry room, you know, that you get in smaller quarters. Yeah, seriously. So I don't know. It just depends how you look at it because the theory is that you go back to your, so these micro apartment theories in these urban areas is you, you go up and you go to sleep there, but you're going to go down to the amenities that they have as well as the public amenities in terms of the restaurants and the shopping and the parks. And, you know, the interesting about thing about transitioning back to Kalai is they're going to have these these bungalows. It's almost giant, I don't know, like kitchens and an area. And one of the bungalows has a pool where you can rent out this area. It fits maybe like 50 people. And you're going to have to pay a fee, but it's almost like a miniature version of Milani Town Association, where you can rent out the big party, the room for your 300 party graduation, that kind of thing. It'll be interesting, but yeah, Kalai is going to be right on the on Alamana Boulevard, so that should be a, a interesting one. I can't talk about that one, and we can do even comparisons with the older inventory that has the the view. Yeah. yeah. So that's all I have for my section. Well, so if you guys want to learn more about investing on the mainland, you guys can check out my podcast, Simple Passive Cashflow, and the website, simplepassivecashflow.com. 
But let's get to it here. As this is a little chart that I put together where everybody's complaining about the interest rates going up. But hey, the interest rates go up to cool off inflation. And that's just what the Fed does. And that's it's kind of like your parents who told you couldn't do something you wanted to do. That's what the Fed is doing to making sure that we don't go to hyperinflation. And some con- historical context of how long these times of cranking rates up, what did it go up? 70 percent basis points last time, it'll probably go up half a percent, three quarter percent again this next time. But here are the last times it's gone up 1.4 years, one and a half years, 2.2 years from 2005 to 2008. The most recent one, 2017 to 2020, just before the pandemic was 2.6 years. So uh, I would say people say the interest rates are going to go back down. I don't think so, man. I think we're looking at least another year of interest mm-hmm. rates cranking up. Best and worst places to raise a family. People like these for some strange reason. But mm-hmm. Honolulu and Pearl City were like number one on there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sam Zell is like a real estate guru staying away from Bitcoin. And if you guys are interested, in, I did a video called Crypto Winter, which is upon us. I think it was live like tomorrow on my YouTube channel. You guys can just Google it. Rich Uncle is the YouTube channel. We try and keep things fun and light up there. But I'm not a huge fan of investing as sustainable returns, that type of stuff. I do think it's long term, so don't get me wrong. But I just don't. I took all my money, all that BlockFi and all that type of stuff because there's all this, all the brokerage. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but all the people, the exchanges, or there's some turmoil happening on the staking side. But John Burns, a real estate consulting reports that demand shifting from owning to renting with prices still pretty high. There's a bit of a home appreciation nationwide state hit 20% in March of 2022, making the largest jump in three decades. Mortgage payments went up about $600 with the latest increase in if you live in Hawaii that's probably four times that probably like two grand mortgage payment right like most people pay used to pay three grand now it's five G's right every month yep, yep, yep. in terms of new the comparable new loan right at the new right rates. yeah right exactly. should have yep. done it yesterday yeah we all say but uh, I saw a picture the other day of some guy signing a new loan and I was like really now's the time to do it but I guess the rates are gonna go up more than likely in the next year. I guess better yeah. now than later, but it's a little too late to the party in a way. Oh, I can tell you too, in that other slide that I showed at five, six percent, we're still relatively low in the grand scheme of, of historical interest rates, you know. Yeah. So but we've just been spoiled when it and it's just shocking to us emotionally as well as financially when you look at how far down our buying power went compared to when it was at three percent. Or below yeah. 3%. It's very unnerving and it's scary. It's scary. Yeah. But See, you're ready. That's, that's why I like your condos. Like your condos are, so I don't want to be offensive. Again, I always get that disclaimer. Like one half or 600 grand to $1.5 million. That's all kind of semi-middle class household houses. Like to me, the people coming from the mainland are not middle class. They're all buying like much larger or they can afford much harder, larger houses or more expensive houses. That's yeah. 600 square feet here in Hawaii, apparently. But yeah, like I, it's binary. I, I think it's like the low end folks, which is most people in Hawaii are struggling and it's the high end that can afford it. And they are doing pretty well, all things. Pretty it's much. the elimination of the middle class, right? The position uh, of the haves and the haves nots. Yeah. What do you want to be, Dean? Do you want to be, you can't be middle class. You can't stay in the middle. You have to go to uh, one you, side. You know 
I want to be happy and I want my kids to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. They're <laughs> not going to be means. happy unless you pay $30 to see Snoopy. And- <laughs> Name. U.S. apartment market, not, no sign of slowing down rents grow. Here are some apartment markets that are doing pretty strong. Miami, New York, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Tampa, Orlando, San Diego, West Palm, Nashville, Seattle, New York. Top smallest increases generally came in the Midwest and Northeast. All the growth is that Sunbelt we keep talking about again and again. And multi-housing news echoes that. The Rust Belt and Northeast more people were leaving California, the Rust Belt, and the Northeast, heading to the Sun Belt and the Rocky Mountain regions. This article, they're talking about out-of-state rental applications. So people are moving out of their state. So I know people are always moving out of Hawaii, and the more affluent people are always moving back in. Where are people relocating? Where are the magnets? Texas, Florida, Arizona, Georgia, and Tennessee. And this is what we're talking about. The nation's best renters retention rates for conventional apartments are occurring in the class B and the C units because the class B and C folks, lower middle class, are not economically mobile and they cannot afford to buy houses, especially today. And this will show Riverside, Boston. Class C are the apartments that aren't raising rents as much as the high end because the high end are, are they have more money to spend, especially these days coming out of the pandemic, which is a little perplexing too, because you would think that maybe the people who are on the fringe or the bees move down to the seas, but right. you just don't have the ability to pay much more. This one has some pertinence to Hawaii folks. So this is all the way in New York. This is a sort of anti-rent control bill that got passed. Just one in the line of many. I'm sure there'll be more rent control. But I always look, Inya, drawing us out with the paper. Oh, my bad. Uh, we're always looking at like states like California and New York, where you are seeing this these kind of precedent-setting type of laws being passed because Hawaii is a very progressive in terms of laws and called in terms of financial equality changes, in my opinion. One time, Hawaii that comes up for discussion once in a while at the legislature rent control it's very scary we don't have rent control here we right? do not but it come it, it comes up every once in a while every session i don't know if it's every session but it becomes a topic of discussion because of the high cost of living the you know affordability yeah. problem did you hear that hawaii's minimum wage is going to get raised i don't know 10 years from now that yep. was that a big thing or yeah, um, i just it, saw that article yeah, it's see. I don't even initially right on the Fed side. I think Obama was going. He was successful, and I don't know. I feel that I understand what they're trying to do, but I have a feeling it's going to backfire from the standpoint of when we hear big like on the federal side with that. I feel like now we saw McDonald's, a lot of those kiosks popping up in the cashiers at the Safeways. We see the self checkout lines more popping up, <laughs> even Costco. So I feel like. It might have a backward effect where you're going to actually displace the human resource. Yeah. Hawaii is... I've never seen so many parking attendants. The guys who take your ticket. There's none of that on the mainland. Everything is automated. You don't have some random person just staying in that little booth all day making X dollars an hour. You don't have any of that. I think Elon Musk, I was watching a 
uh, interview on him and he was saying that with all of this technology AI and everything, it's going to make a lot of these menial labor positions that were handled previously by, from, by humans handled by technology and AI to the point where, you know, people that don't have these, I, I guess, for lack of a better word, unskilled labor type positions are might go away and we'll need to have like a socialistic society where some people the homeless won't not the homeless the jobless population will grow because there won't be any jobs for a certain type of demographic or amount of education there there won't be any jobs for a big portion of the population so the governments are going to have to just pretty much just give them money and because it, there's no way they're going to find a job go on reddit and read the anti-work thread it's funny it's made to be funny but like, it's super sad because like people you have to get, get into so much student debt to get a halfway decent job to make 50 g's a year it's ridiculous and then like, one of there's funny things on there is okay make me do this bullshit application for a job that takes me like an hour and then i have to upload all my job experience every single time and then you're not going to tell me what the stupid pay is that's absurd but that's just how it is i don't know it's just yeah, like it's getting so separated. This is why I just want to go in my gated community where when everybody gets so pissed off and everybody just fights in the streets, I will be away. And maybe I know you're not allowed to have guns, but maybe I'll get a cannon or like a lightsaber <laughs> and protect myself. But yeah, like it just you know, it's, it feels feel sorry for a lot of folks out there. It's just the yeah. system is. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. Like the like raising the minimum wage is going to get just passed down to the lower guys somehow. Yeah. Yeah, but let's just focus on keeping the status quo for now. But yeah, CNBC business, their opinion, it's time to prepare for a recession. I'm not, I don't really see this happening too much. We're already, we've already had a negative 1.5% GDP last quarter and a recession is officially two quarters of two that quarters. in a row. Yeah. But like right. when the previous quarters pass for like 20% plus gains, then you're due for one of these once in a while. You're still net positive. <laughs> yeah, you're still net positive on one year moving average. The, these articles, they need to sell. They need to sell doom and gloom. But I do think that the war in Ukraine going longer or the lockdowns in China, because that's going to make even more supply chain shocks, that those are just two of the, what they call them, the black swan events that could potentially happen that probably won't. That is, oh, there's always black swans events that could happen. But I don't know. I no. Never know. That's why you buy stuff that makes sense in cash flows as opposed to gambling on things that don't. Any commentary there, Dean? I just was going to say, with that said, how how are you getting ready for this? Or how are you? I think in a discussion I had with you you folks in, in a different setting, it was like part of me is getting caught up with all of this these doom and gloom stories and taking my foot off of the gas in terms of my investing because I'm at where I'm at now, I'm still in an acquisition phase. So in theory, all things being the same, I should be pedal to the metal and buying cash flowing properties. But seeing these kind of this in the media in terms of the recession coming up, and say, maybe I'll keep that cash for a little while. And although I'm losing 8%, keeping it in cash, if and when there's a big correction, then I can put be buying whatever, real estate, stocks, crypto at a discount and at the bottom waiting for everything to go up. So it's what are you, how are you taking the, all of these kind of articles since you're reading them? Just buy stuff that cash flows now. 
But that whole thing that you said makes a lot of sense. But in, in practice, it's impossible. Do you remember in 2008, right? That was your big moment. Could you have picked the bottom and picked the right point? No, you're no. probably so, you couldn't even do it in 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15. Like you're, you're not able to pick the bottom. Just like, again, 2020, the bottom fell out. But did you have the cojones to go back in in summer of 2020 or 2021? No, it, it's, it's impossible to catch, go in, is, yeah. which is part of the practicality of that type of strategy. And I don't claim that I'm that smart or have the cojones to do it either when it drops. So I'm just going to dollar cost average. And just yeah, I was about to say the exact same term. But look what happened in 2020. Like the bottom things dropped, right? And I don't have any of that type of stuff. That's why I do real estate. But if you're already in and you held on to real estate, you got that tremendous climb up. There was no way you could have jumped into that, hit that wave if you're sitting on the sidelines or on shore. You had to be in the water, in there, holding yeah. on to the asset. Yeah. And by the time it's all ha- happening, you're like, oh, no, oh, no. Yeah. If you have enough, man, like by all power to you, you can do what you want. But most of the people saying this demon boom and they're going to hold on to cash are like, Guys are under half a million, million dollars net worth. And to me, you can't sit there with that. That's just yeah. not enough in my own, for me. But if you want to do something, that's what the life, that's what the cash value life insurance is. It's a way of mm. punting. If that's a really conservative way you want to play it. That's a good point too, in terms of getting like a, it's, you're not going to kill it with the returns, but you're, you have something better than sitting in, in cash in the bank. And then you have so many options in terms of, accessing the cash for yeah. for what investments in and multiplying that yeah i'll say on a recorded line i will guarantee that people cannot time the bottom uh, it's like i get the chopstick like wrapper and i put it in front of my daughter and trying to test her like reflexes just to troll her she cannot catch that thing just like how people cannot catch they cannot like whenever this bottom yeah, yeah. comes in you cannot catch it it's just yeah. not you Not scared practical. me when you said that. I'll say this on 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 recording. I was like, oh boy, oh should I have to yeah. press the pause or what? <laughs> okay. My my second okay. So why I'm saying oh, outlandish oh. things. My second thing that I will bet on is I don't think rents ever go down for longer than one to three years. I'm willing to take that bet. Why? And with that said, too, like saying the stock market in the long run always goes up. Real estate. Oh, prices, I don't know. I don't well, know. In Japan, that's not the uh, case. And some true. people say we could be like that, but rents never go down. I don't know. And gravity works. But anyway, uh, we had some of these other things. We hit our time limit here. And we are looking to change the show. And how, what do you guys want to talk about? So if you guys have any feedback, please reach out to myself or Dean. And we'll see you guys next time. See ya. Hey, just some legal stuff here. Although these two brothers are pretty knowledgeable and have over 2,100 rental units and own over $160 million worth of real estate, the preceding are only ideas and not to be taken as legal, tax, or financial advice, okay? You should always seek the professional advice of other professionals on your team and think for yourself and do your own due diligence, okay? Aloha.